You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Father, we thank you. We are those that have come back to say thank you. We are those that have come back to express our love and our gratitude to you. Thank you for all that you have done for us from the beginning of this year even till date. Thank you for the things that you will yet do. Thank you for the things that you are already working out for us. We give you praise for who you are to us. We see your hand at work in our lives. We see your And so, Lord, we commit our hearts once again into your hands. We commit our lives that you will journey with us and that your spirit will continually lead us and direct us. We ask that you make our hearts fertile ground for the seeds of your word that will be sown this morning. Speak to us, O God, as it is upon your heart. Let your word, Father, just flow freely. No inhibitions. Let it pull down every negative mindset. Let it pull down every thought that has exalted itself against the knowledge of your son. Let light shine and illuminate our hearts and our lives. And let your truth be made known. Answer the questions of our hearts. Lift burdens today. Fill us with your peace and your joy. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Put your hands together for Jesus and please be seated in his presence, amen. Okay, so this month of September, across all of the Elevation churches, we will be taking a teaching series called Living and Loving. Can we say that together, Living and Loving? Awesome. Now, before somebody tunes out and say, oh dear, we have started this love matter again. Mm-mm. Hold on. I remember just asking God, in, well, as I prepared for this, God, what, what else is there to say on this love matter? We have said it, taken it from different angles and dimensions. And I sense the Holy Spirit say to me to go back to the beginning. And so that's what we'll be doing together today. Today's um, topic is tagged, love under pressure. And I don't want anyone here to feel that even that title puts you under pressure because for a few weeks or a few months, you have successfully tried not to think about the fact that you're not yet married or to think about the fact that, well, nobody seems to be looking your way or you don't seem to have the bandwidth to look the way of someone I believe God has a word for each and every person today, whether you're single, whether you're married. So please follow me as we go along um, in his word. And I need someone here because I sense that, you know, there's really someone who feels like, man, if I knew that it's love matters we're coming to talk about in church today, maybe I would would have just stayed home. I want you to do something. I want you to just pray under your breath and say, God, I know that I have come into your presence and I will not leave the same. I know you have a word for me, and my heart is open to receive your word. 
Just do that very quickly under your breath and it will make a world of difference. Okay, so anchor scripture. Well, before I go into the anchor scripture, let me, let's talk a bit about what it means for love to be under pressure. I'm banned, I'm trying. You guys, you know you are my muse now. So just in case I call one or two of you up on stage here, you know how we do. Um, but yes, so in our world, yeah, I mean, 2020, pandemic, all the drama, different experiences across, both dating relationships that started prior to pandemic, and of course, they went with the wave of uh, COVID, the first variant. They are no more. People have testified. I mean, I know people who have testified that marriages, their marriages grew stronger. I'm fortunate to be one of those. In the course of the pandemic, there was a pause that no matter how much it was, that I wanted to get things done, you know, that I wanted to be out there smashing all my goals. Same for my husband, I believe I can speak for him. We did not have a choice but to be indoors together, looking at ourselves 24 hours, seven days a week, especially during the lockdown, and of course with the kids. And I will not be one of those who will stand before you and tell you that was an easy season. Now, for those who know my family well enough, my husband is sanguine. What that means is, and he's also a creative, so he's an ajala travel. His bomb bomb does not stay in one place. He has an itchy bomb, you know. Be out, go for meetings, travel. That is him. I, on the other hand, am a homebody. I'm choleric and I'm melancholic. I'm a homebody. I like my house. I love my house, scratch-like. I love my house. I'm the kind of person that I can be in my house for a week and not step outside the door. Max, maybe I will step outside my house, but not go um, outside of my estate. So imagine those two personalities then being cooped together in one space. I was loving it. I loved the fact that I could spend a lot more time with my children. And I wasn't dashing off to work every morning and, you know, our hangout times prior to the pandemic was usually school runs, taking them to school in the morning. I can't pick them up because I'm at work by the time they're done for the day. Sometimes by the time I get home, they're already in bed, you know, until the weekend. So we maximize the school drop-off time. However, it was also a very challenging period because for the first time, we're battling online school. I have a toddler, I have a, a child, you know. So having to, the pressure of having to do online schooling for them or with them and just managing the home dynamics as, as well as work, you know, as well as marriage was quite a bit. Remember, just let me focus on the marriage aspect. I remember before my husband and I got married, when we had moving dates, when we first, I mean, the very first day he took me out to the movies, he was shocked because 
I'm the kind of person that will watch a movie and I will tap him and say, but that did not make any sense. You know the people that analyze movies while it is ongoing? My husband, on the other hand, is the kind of person that he just wants to stay glued and just watch without being distracted. Now, I'm not a crier, but I will confess that there are some movies I have seen that have made me shed a tear or two. For the life of my husband, I cannot understand why you are crying for something that people acted. Like, how is that normal? But it's just a movie. I mean, you know this thing is scripted, right, babe? And that's how we're talking, like, you know it's scripted. You know that some guys acted this thing. I'm like, yeah, but can you just... Now, because I'm also melancholic and I think I carry the problems of the world on my head. I can meditate over, you know, the outcomes of a movie. I can plot how that movie should have ended after it has long ended and I'll be worrying my, you know, my husband don't need at all. It's a movie, it's a movie, it has ended. We're done, we've moved on. So, those two personalities, I had to learn, of course, when we got married, that he doesn't like to talk when the movie is going on. That's not my MO. You know, but sometimes I will say something, won't answer me, it's all right. I'll look at it, I will say it to myself. So imagine during the pandemic when he loves movies, by the way. In my house, my, my kids are around, they will tell you <laughs> I can watch one movie, especially when maybe I'm having like movie hangouts with them. We always try and do almost every other Friday night with my daughters they get frustrated because sometimes for like three movie nights back to back, I'm making them watch the same movie again. Mommy, you watch, you started it from the middle, you slept off. You started from the beginning, you slept off. So what part are we playing for you now? Because we finished it, you know. So I can be that way sometimes. Movies just help me just sleep off, you know. Anyway, during the pandemic, my husband then takes uh, Netflix, yeah, and then all them green leaf and also he loves movies. He was binge watching a lot. And it was something I thought we could do together. So what we had done was to not deliberately agree, but somehow we found that we aligned our schedules. So from things like um, taking walks within our estate, prayer walks together, we just tried try to align some of our um, outside activities and even the ones we do indoor. Movies. We then said, okay, now, Netflix. I think it was Greenleaf or so. That was the first one. I have a lot of issues with that. Maybe because I'm a church girl. That movie. Anyway, we should have started binge watching the thing. You know, so I will be complaining and talking. and all. So in my, just one of those days, that's how my husband responded. And goes, yeah, I mean, can you imagine? Did you, did you see what Bishop did? I'm like, ah. <laughs> hello? Did I see what Bishop did? Yes, I saw what Bishop did. You know, and then before you knew it, sometimes my husband then started making comments during movies together. And I was happy because I, had, I felt like I had sacrificed a lot in not having somebody talk to me or talk back at me or respond when I'm doing my analysis paralysis over a movie. It was so bad that we finished it and we started talking about how that movie should have ended. And, you know, and I looked at him and I said to him, do you realize that you've started analyzing movies like me? I'm like, oh God, how did I get here? You know, but I have said that to say this. So many people had different experiences and uh, the pandemic hit relationships and marriages in very many ways. That's not to say that we did not fight too. Yes, we had our arguments too. And 
when he will occupy the bedroom, you know, during the day. I mean, I'll stay downstairs with the kids till everybody has simmered, and then we can, we can talk about our issues because we have some rules around conflict resolution in my family. But anyway, regardless of what you saw, regardless of what you experienced, whether it's relationships close to you, marriages close to you, that you saw how they eventually evolved during the pandemic and has put you, maybe you're not married yet, in that state where you're wondering, is this really worth it? Is marriage really worth all this hassle? Is it really worth getting into? I hope that by the time we're done with this teaching series, you as a single person will be more enthused and would have received knowledge from the perspective of God's original intent and design of the institution called marriage. Amen. Thank you very much. Well, for the married person in here who feels like I'm still reeling from the effects of the pandemic on my marriage, or maybe not even the pandemic, but your, your, your marriage has had some hard hits. I trust and I'm believing God that before this teaching series is over, there will be full restoration of the oil of joy and of love in your marriage. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so anchor scripture, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I'll read a few verses. Uh, verse 7. I'll start from verse 7 and then I'll jump to verse 15. It all ties in, so let's, let's go together. Genesis chapter 2. Okay, it says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Move forward to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man that he had formed in verse 7, and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. Verse 18. And the Lord God said... It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. I will make him a helper. He had then given him work to do. And then God looks. Remember, every time throughout the creation process or the creative process that God deployed, what, did, what, what would scripture typically say? When, when he created and then it would end, what, would, what was the comment usually? And God saw that it was good. And then the first time we're seeing where God says it is not good is when man was created. Now, it is important to note that man was not defective. That isn't the reason why God said it was not good. It was not good for man created and designed by God to function in his place of assignment to be alone in that place of assignment. That was what God was referring to because everything that God created is good, was good, and still remains good. However, man has at that point in time, God saw that it wasn't okay for him to be alone. And God said, we'll make him a helper comparable to him, comparable to him. Now, the Hebrew translation of that word, um, helper. It's interesting to note 
that in our world, before I talk about translation, we sometimes look at that word helper and it has been misconstrued to mean domestic help type relationship. That is, woman is subservient to man. And that has caused a lot of problem for us as young people because we've then had women rise up and say, Mba, it's not going to work. I'm not going to be answerable to any man and all. What we've done is we've taken the truth and we have interpreted it in our own human understanding and it's causing a lot of problems. So men have engaged women with the expectation that I am better than you. You should answer to me. You are supposed to be under me. But that's not the way the term has been used here. So, you know that the Bible speaks or references God as helper, right? Yes? How many of you are students of the scripture? So, God is referenced as our help, right? Please, guys, you need to follow me. Thank you very much. The Holy Spirit, when Jesus was going to leave the earth, he said, I will send you the helper. The Holy Spirit is also our helper. Now, are we then saying, or are we then going to interpret the fact that God is our helper, or God is our help, and the Holy Spirit also the help of God that we enjoy through the presence of the Holy Spirit? Are they subservient to us? Absolutely not. So why do we read this And it's very easy for people to misunderstand the use of that word there. In fact, the translation there speaks to in front of, in support of. So, woman is meant to, woman has been designed to be like man, to complement, to help, to be in front of, not in front of in terms of leadership now, but to be as man. That was definitely a woman. (laughs) So, just still reading through from verse 19. It says, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Now, you know, God doesn't make mistakes, right? What was it, and I don't say this because I know that there are, um, the Bible, the way it has been put into verses and chapters and all, may not necessarily be the flow of it in the original manuscripts. However, it does appear as though God, in trying to solve that problem, starts off by creating animals first. And for me, remember the Bible is also very economical in its use of words. For me, personal opinion, no. That scripture preceding, sorry, following after the fact that God identified a need is very important because it speaks to the fact that God gave man an opportunity to make a decision. So it says, he went ahead and created these beasts, created these animals, and brought them to man. And whatever man called each living creature, that became its name. Remember that man descended directly or is a product and handiwork of God. So he has a measure of God's spirit in him, right? 
So the expectation is that God, you know, well, God's expectation is that man would be able to think and create like him. Man goes ahead and calls the baboon the baboon, calls the chimpanzee the chimpanzee, calls the squirrels the squirrels. Speaking of squirrels, my kids and I watched, uh, they've overwatched that thing, Sha, Alvin and the chipmunks, you know. And I'm just thinking, what if, what if man had just taken the squirrel and said, that's my wife? Would have been chipmunks and chipettes. What, what, are the, what are the female uh, singing chipmunks? That's what the world would have been filled with. But anyway, thank God that Adam used his brain and moved on from there. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Now, go back to that same verse 18. It says, I will make him a helper comparable or a helpmeet for him. Comparable suitable, fit for purpose. Now, Adam had looked and everything God created was good, but there was no one for him. And I am asking myself, in our decision-making process, in this day and age, in this generation, are we looking for the people that are comparable to us? What are the yardsticks? What are the metrics we use in measuring comparability or suitability or are we largely being driven by our feelings our emotions and other people's experiences in making our decisions let's continue still in this um, anchor scripture oh, Jesus is Lord <laughs> verse 21 and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept Pause. Adam could not have helped himself. God created the animals, brought them to him. But he knew that something was missing. And the only way for God to address this was for Adam to rest. Some of us, we need to rest. We need to take a break and just rest. Rest in God. On this marriage matter, you need to rest. You need to rest. And I'll share you my own rest experience. <laughs> so some people know me already, know my story. I don't have shame. But I was in a phase in my life where I wasn't anxious about getting married. I mean, aside from, and my parents didn't pressure me, so it would be unfair to say there was any sort of pressure. I think the pressure was that I, I, I put it on myself somewhat, you know, maybe because my close friends were getting married, you know how it is, you're bridesmaid today, bridesmaid tomorrow, bride, yeah, wow, now, wow, God, but I'm fine now, what's going on here, Lord, you know, but, um, so it wasn't a function that I was lacking, you know, people would come and marry me, I want to date you, mm -mm. it was that something was missing, you go on a few dates and you just know, nah, uh, I'm not ready to mortgage my destiny and my, my future joy. Let me not discount those uh, cash flows now and be weeping. So, but I got to the person that I liked, really liked, really, really, really liked, my husband. We are married today. But he was proving ridiculous. 
Fine girl like me. You're using me to do tumbo tumbo. Now, let me backtrack very quickly. I met my husband at a point in time in my life where I had so many guys all over the place. And so, I had said to him very arrogantly, guys always like me. Yes, this, I said this to him. If he was here, he would testify. Guys always like me. So I'm just letting you know up front that I'm not interested. So don't even think about it. I'd rather we just be friends. Because that was sort of a lie act. Sharp boy. Carried that riot act. And walked with it as in to the sea. For years. So much so that when I expected that, by now, we have been feeling something. You know, you are feeling me, I'm feeling you. All these, uh, our parole up and down. People are asking me, both of you, when are you giving us dates? You know when you get to that place and you need to start asking, what are we doing? I hate that question <laughs> with every fiber in my being. But I got to the place where I had to ask that question, what are we doing, sir? And he said, ah, but you know I like you, right? But you said that uh, men always like you up and down, so I should respect myself. Let's just say it was a very trying, if you want to get the details, you can see me after. It was a very traumatic season in my life because my husband also then had girls. So you can imagine, we now look like we're battle for me. When did I enter this kind of matter? Men always fall over themselves for me. I'm not the one that will now be trying to say, ah, no. Anyway, let's focus on the word. That's not the word for today. If you want to hear more, come for evening service. Come for evening service. Anyway, but we got to that place where eventually we both, he then chased. And I said, I'm not marrying you, sir. Oh boy, family matter. He chased. Because I should be chased. And it's not even trying to be proud here. And I know maybe the guys here probably feel like I'm not helping the matter. I'm not helping their matter. No. But see, go and look at Jacob. Look at Jacob and Rachel. <laughs> look at Jacob and Rachel. I mean, worked the first seven years. Did not get what he wanted. But worked another seven years in addition. 14 years for one woman. And I know some men here are feeling like, what? What is that? There are many, what's that thing people say? There are many fishes in the sea. Do people still say that? Yeah. Uh -huh. There are many fishes in the sea. You will carry mermaid. You better stay there in that your place of assignment and do your 14 years. No, that's a joke, by the way. But I'm sure if you had left it to Rachel, if she had any say, Jacob would not have had to wait, work for 14 years. It was just the way the matter was. However, it is important, guys, and I have to ask this question at this point. What is your object of affection? Jesus. Who is your object of affection? The Holy Spirit, which is great, because then you should have brain and sense if the object of your affection is the Holy Spirit and Jesus. You should be rightly guided to knowing what to do. Now, I'm not an advocate of women wasting time and wasting men's time. If you want to do, do. If you don't want to do, don't do. Say you are not doing. And let the man be on his way. Don't just keep him locked down. Are you a demon? Familiar spirit holding his destiny? 
If you want to say yes, say yes. If you don't want to say yes, don't say yes. Ah. This month, guys, we're going to be listening to people's experiences. Yes. Um, I, um, <laughs> but on a more serious note, God ordained the institution called marriage. And so if we're struggling in that face, some of us, we need to have, it's a character change that needs to happen. For some of us, it's a mindset shift, a mindset reorientation. Why? Because all your revelation of marriage, eh? Is based off of your parents' experiences. It is based off of your auntie's experience. I remember holding a uh, teenage girls' camp. We always hold it at um, the Elevation Church several years back. So we always have sleepovers. The girls used to sleep over at my house. And one of those nights during the sleepover, because it's at midnight, the gist is always very sweet, they started asking different questions. You know, questions that they typically would not be able to ask in church on a Sunday. And I promise you, those questions kept me up all night. I mean, by, I mean we, we just started the early hours of the morning, and I stayed up. I couldn't sleep, and I was just praying. I was praying for each and every girl. Because at their age, the kind of fears that they were expressing about marriage was very worrisome. And I remember one particular girl who was very vocal speaking so passionately about her not wanting to get married because of the things that she had seen. And you could very clearly see that it was experiences from home, from family members, from her friends, parents, you know. And it just looked like in their world, in their space, it looked like they weren't successful marriages anymore. But I'm very happy to say that that particular girl, I look at her now. And I'm pleased because her parents have walked through their marriage and she has hope based off of that. I mean, that which had tormented her and made her feel like it was absolutely impossible to be, to be happily married, to be successfully married, is no longer a source of fear anymore. Now, for some people, they're not as lucky because their parents don't make it back together. And they become victims of broken homes or damaged, you know, they're damaged from the experiences of their parents or their family members. And some of us might be sitting in the room this morning or even listening online. But are you going to make your revelation other people's experiences? Or you're going to go back to the author of the, and the founder of the institution of marriage to ask questions. To search the scriptures and see what the word of God says about two becoming one and see gain insights and wisdom from the Holy Spirit on how to prepare yourself for your marital destiny and if you're already married on how to ensure that the wine in your home never runs out that it keeps getting sweeter and sweeter and sweeter because that is the intent and the design that God has in mind for us so everything we're seeing that represents a negative picture and we're saying men are scum, women are gold diggers, men are this, women are that, marriage is overrated, love is overrated. So what is, what is rated? What is normal? Normally rated? Or what, how do I even explain? Ask the question now. If marriage is overrated, love is overrated, sex is overrated. So what is now okay that, we, that excites us and we want to be a part of? 
some of us are, and I'm going to be using us a lot so that it doesn't look like I am, so, so, so somebody doesn't feel judged here. When I asked that question earlier about who or what is your object of affection, for someone or some of us, all you are concerned about is what you are getting physically. That is all that matters. So your object of affection is the girl you're sleeping with. You like her, but what you like really and truly is her body. And you know, I've heard women say, not, I mean, not general, obviously, but I've heard comments like, oh, I do it to him like no one else does. And you're very proud. They are like, yes, please, I hope we don't have underage children in the room. I have excused my children. So please, if your kids are here, you can send them to the pastor's office just opposite this building here. Let them go and chill there. My kids are there, yes. But you cannot be saying, I do it to him like no one else does. I give it to him. And that's, you are proud. You are, you are excited as your, at your status of being an F-body. I can't even use the word, intro, but you know what it is. You are an F-body and it excites you that that's who you are. Why? Because marriage is overrated. And we have a generation of young people now who are asking questions like, I just want to have kids. I don't want to answer to any man. Or a man says, look, I just want to have kids. I don't want to be saddled with the responsibility of trying to have a wife and be committed. And your body count is increasing on a daily basis. And you are excited about that kind of life. For how long? For how long? You cannot, you, okay, I'm coming, I'm coming. The Lord caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. I said we need to rest. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken, this is verse 22 of Genesis 2. The rib which the Lord had taken from man, he made it into a woman and he brought her to the man. God brought the woman that he had made to the man. God brought, I'm going to repeat it again, for someone's benefit here, God brought the woman that he had made to the man. The man was in a position of rest. Now, some of us, we have sat down, you are not resting, but you are waiting for God. You are not, you, you are not engaging. Zero social life, zero social activities, come to church, no, you will say, stay online. They will find you online. Hangouts, Lunches at work, no, you are that, that uh, employee that is very focused on work. Let me just get my work done. My, my work speaks, speaks for me. Your work is your object of affection. You don't put yourself in a place where they, you can be seen. And I remember somebody asking me this question, say, isn't that me trying to manipulate things? I'm like, no, it is wisdom. The children of the world are wiser than the children of light. Because the children of light, we fast, we pray, we stay in our room, and that is all we do. We live a very linear life. It's not even triangular. Because some people don't come to church now. At least if you come to church, some guy in the band can see you while you're praying. And say, ah, that's a very spiritual sister. Let me say hi to her or something. They are not seeing you. We can't see you praying online. And I'm not saying, <laughs> okay. Holy Spirit, help me. My point is this. God created us for connections, not isolation. 
God created us, each and every person, for connection, regardless of your temperament. We are not meant to isolate ourselves. Some of us are isolating because of past experiences. We are allowing those experiences shape us. We are allowing those experiences determine our future. You are giving too much room and too much power to your negative experiences. You are giving too much power to your past and by implication to the devil. Your hurt, your pain, your brokenheartedness cannot stop you and should not stop you from enjoying a happy marriage. It shouldn't. And just in case somebody is here and you're wondering, well, yes, I agree, God created us for connection. I just want to live my best life now. I'm not under any pressure. You can be happy single too. You can be happy as a single person. In fact, just preparing for this, 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 this there was a, a phrase that dropped in my heart and it's the phrase called the concept of deferred joy. Some of us are deferring our joy. So you are single. Your lips pay service to the fact that you are single and I'm living my best life. When you are alone, you are miserable. You cry to sleep. You look gone, IJ. You see your friends and you just hiss. You are miserable. So why don't you, who are you deceiving? Are you deceiving God or yourself? Why don't you pour out your heart and your pain? God, I don't like the way I am. What's going on here? Let's talk about it. Let him, you know, let him grant you rest on top of this matter. Sorry, I know I've been entering pigeon and all that. God, help me. But he needs to grant you rest. You need to see with a set of eyes that are different from how you've always seen prior to now. You need to be able to interpret the circumstances of your life differently. Your perspective on marriage needs to change. Some of us need to own up to the truth that we need to work on ourselves. Because can you marry you? Think about it. Can you marry you as you are? You cannot even get, I mean, you're still trying to get a hang of your own life. We get into your, 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 your living space. And it's not very pleasing to the eye. It's not. And I know that, I mean, marriage obviously is not about cooking and cleaning and all. I learned that in the first six months of my marriage. I was trying to impress because I was coming from orthodox background. So my premarital counseling, they emphasized all that. The way to a man's heart is his stomach. So I married now. I was working a very tedious job in the bank. I sometimes go to work Saturdays and Sundays. But before I head out Saturday morning, carry mop and be mopping the house. Go and shop. Do effort. I did not know that last my husband was very miserable. Because guess what? By the time I now get into the bed at night, auntie cannot perform. She has fallen asleep. Fast asleep. Six months. I, in fact, I didn't think that I was going to be married. Thank God. I'm almost 10 years. Ha! Jesus, you are good. Because that first six months, I couldn't understand what was his problem. Guy, I'm feeding you, putting food in your stomach. What's wrong with you? Making the house clean. One day, my husband had had it up to here. And he called me and said, look, 
In fact, that weekend, it was a weekend I can never forget, he recruited a nanny, a houseboy, <laughs> that weekend. And said, look, I did not marry a cook and a, clean, a, a cleaner. I don't care about the food. We'll go out and eat. Girl, give, give me something. I'm dying here. And he was so real with me. He was so real. But see, you cannot be trying to model somebody else's marriage. I said, see, my husband is, is fine. He, he can cook. I had to get to that place where I became comfortable with the fact that my... Because before we married... He was such an amazing cook. I never cooked for him. The times I even tried to cook for him when he came to visit me. Ah, but I thought that uh, we, just, we were a 21st century couple. You know, you will be cooking together. But he had to say to me, look, I really don't care about the food. Food is not priority for me. Intimacy is key for me. Conversations with you before you go to work. Now, he's an entrepreneur. So he doesn't, have a, he doesn't start out early in the morning. But I want to be able to gist with you. I don't want you tired all the time. And here I was trying to model it after the people that had gone before me, where I would set a table before my husband. My husband would come pick the chicken out. Oh, your table, he did not even notice it. So my point is you have got to know what works. Be self-aware enough. Now I know I've entered into different dimensions here. God, but don't, don't miss church this month, Sha. That's all I will say. Don't miss church. You can't afford to because God is breaking mindsets and those walls that we have erected out of pain, out of brokenness, out of a confused state and a confused generation. We've built, we've taken tips and nuggets off Instagram and people's social media and we have used it to form our philosophy and our revelation. Get into the word this month. Please tell me, let me tell someone, get into the word. Go back to the basics and read for yourself what God said about the marriage institution. So I'm going to wrap up and then we will pray. Well, God brought the woman to the man. Man was in a place of rest so he could see. Now, God in this day and age is not physically bringing anybody. I'm personal opinion and I don't believe there's, a, there's one man to one woman. Otherwise, people who lose their spouses and remarry, are we saying that they are of a lesser... Um, benefits, they're getting the rewards of marriage or they are not getting the full rewards of marriage because they married someone else. So, but like I said, it's personal opinion. Adam said, this is the bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam knew who she was. He could recognize her because he was in a place of rest. And so he allowed God work. He wasn't trying to manipulate things, which we do a lot in our generation. He wasn't trying to manipulate things. And just in case you are married and you manipulated your spouse, there is mercy and grace available for you. The mercy of God is still very much available. And you feel like you're beginning to, to, to bear the, or to reap the rewards of the manipulation. There is mercy. There is nothing or no situation that is irredeemable. I mean, ask yourself, aren't there successfully married non-Christians or non-believers? How many people know that there are non-believers who are successfully married? And I was saying this to, a, to, to, to someone who asked me this question about two weeks ago. I said, think about it. I said, as with everything in life, the same way you have rich non-believers, 
And I'm not talking about those who made their money through shady means. I'm talking about people who, you know, who got uh, who acquired wealth in a, a genuine and legit manner. I'm not talking about those who stole and those who are dealing with, uh, who are corrupt, no. But money never goes in the direction of need. It goes in the direction of value. So God would entrust wealth into people or entrust wealth to people who will use it for the benefit of others. Because remember, where his hands, where his feet, where his voice in this, uh, in this world. They are principles of the kingdom that unbelievers are practicing and it is working for them. And they have not given their hearts to Jesus yet. Meanwhile, you and I, children of light, we are bypassing those principles and thinking they are not important. So, if the, the thing is this, eh? as God's children, we are supposed to be enjoying our marriages. We are supposed to be enjoying the vital relationships of our lives. Because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, that makes all the difference. In addition to practicing these kingdom, kingdom uh, principles, because the Holy Spirit tells you what to do. I remember, at a, I think it was a women's um, midweek service we had before the pandemic. And I was sharing how the Holy Spirit, if you open up yourself, he will teach you all things. Guys, I kid you not. There are times I am working or there are times I am studying. I mean, I am spending time with God. And the Holy Spirit nudges me. Go to bed. Go to bed. As in, not once, not twice. And I realized that it's potentially averted, you know, an issue that could have arisen. And that's not to me saying my husband is very sex crazy. Because I realized that these examples I'm giving, I might just be giving the wrong impression. <laughs> that's not the point. But my point is, just the fact that I listen to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, at least there's one occasion I know, it was a conversation. He was burdened. And he really wanted to talk. But he didn't want to disturb me because he knew that I was speaking to my first love and studying the scriptures. And it was at night when men sleep, you know. But I went there and I just asked him a question and he began to talk. So you cannot underestimate the place of the Holy Spirit in your vital relationships, whether it is towards marriage, whether it is your parental relationships, whether it is sibling relationships, whatever it is. Being able to engage, the Holy Spirit guides into all truth and his responsibility is to reveal the truth of a particular matter so that we can live and live well. Because that's God's design and intent. So, we'll continue distilling this Genesis chapter 2 next week Sunday by God's grace. But let us pray. Let us pray. And I just want to try and put together big thoughts in case anyone is wondering here. So what am I supposed to be thinking about? One, we are created for connection, not isolation. Number two is that a deep commitment to, commitment to oneness, to trust, to vulnerability is required for a successful marriage and I dare say for a successful relationship. I mean, in the world of work today, you ask all the CEOs and all, they'll tell you authenticity and vulnerability is the in thing now. He doesn't have experiences. He's cold-blooded. Nobody wants to work in such an environment. So imagine that, then how much more marriage? So if you're married here, I'm encouraging you. If 
prior to now, trust has been an issue. As we pray together this morning, I know that God will begin to open and soften your heart, even if your spouse isn't here. Vulnerability. Scripture says they were naked and unashamed. Uh, the man and the woman were naked, but were not ashamed. You cannot be in a successful marriage and you are doing you. Two have become one. We'll continue next week. We don't have time. The third thought is people's experiences cannot be your source of revelation. I said that earlier. So remember that. Your mother's experience, your grandmother's experience, your grand auntie's experience, your best friend's parents' experience, or even your best friend's experience cannot be your revelation. Get into the word and go with God. Go with God on your marital destiny. Go with God on your marriage. Go with God in your vital relationships. All right. Um, first of all, I want us to pray for everyone who's suffered any sort of hurt or pain, either from a past relationship or you are in a toxic or abusive relationship or you have just recently come out. I want to pray with you because whether it's a parental relationship that has kept you in that state where you feel like you cannot receive love, you cannot trust people, you cannot give love, whether you've been abused and it has, you've put up a wall, you've put up a defense, would you let God in? Would you let God come in and love you the way you should be? Let him reveal who you are to you. And let him deal with that pain on your behalf. Let the Holy Spirit in. Can we sing that song, please? And as the song is being sung, just if you have a prayer language, just begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. And if you can't pray in tongues, just ask, Holy Spirit, help me. I present my broken heart. I present my hurt. I present my pain. Heal me. You come my agencies. You walk with me through fire and deal all my disease and I draw. I trust in you. I believe you're my healer. I believe you are all I need. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe you're my portion. I believe you're more than enough for me. Jesus, you're all I need. Can we sing it if you know it? You hold my every moment. Oh, my every moment. You come, come 
my raging seas. You calm my raging seas. You walk you with walk, me through fire. You walk with me through fire. You healed all my disease. You heal all my disease. I trust in you. Oh, 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 oh I trust in you. Yes, Father, we trust in you. In you. I trust in. Come on, sing it out. Oh, I believe. I believe you're my healer. I believe you are all I need. Oh, sing out. dealing with pain, everyone who's dealing with the effects of a toxic relationship or an abusive relationship, everyone who's trusting God for his outstretched arm into their marriage. Would you lift up your voice this morning and ask God, my helper, I need you, I need you. Holy Spirit, heal me, comfort me. On, you know, jilted or you were dumped. It is what people have said to you over and over and over again. It has become your philosophy. It has become what you hold on to. It is how you see yourself. The words that have been spoken, the hurtful words that have been spoken over the years, maybe by parents. You don't see yourself as beautiful. You don't see yourself as, as valuable. You don't see yourself as precious anymore. Would you ask this morning that the Lord would open your eyes to see yourself as he sees you. That he would help you see yourself as you, he sees you. Precious. That he would help you see yourself as he sees you dearly and deeply loved by him. Absolutely worth the blood of Jesus. Would you pray this morning and begin to declare that you are healed in the name of Jesus from the effects of the past. You are healed in the name of Jesus from every brokenness. You are healed in the name of Jesus from every pain and hurt. You are healed in the name of Jesus. And I rebuke the operations of the spirit of heaviness over the life and the homes of anybody 
under the sound of my voice, whether in the room or online. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I decree and declare over you that the shackles of pain are broken. An end has come to that, to, to you going round and round that circle. In the name of Jesus, no longer will you continue to feed that pain. No longer will you continue to give that pain, that broken heartedness. You will not continue to give it energy anymore. In the name of Jesus, it is not permitted to dictate your future. It is no longer permitted to dictate how you would live your life. In the name of Jesus, some of you, because of the effects of that, you have made decisions. Oh, you have made decisions that have put you at loggerheads with, with, with God and you need to just come back to Him and enter into rest. I pray for every troubled heart. I pray for every weary soul where you feel like you have tried in this relationship department and it has just not worked. I decree and declare over you that you enter into rest in the name of the Lord Jesus. From the place of rest, you gain truth. From the place of rest, you see differently and you see clearly. I ask that the Lord will still every raging storm in the name of Jesus. Everything that steals your peace, I declare an end to all such thefts in the name of Jesus. The enemy has no hold over your emotions. The enemy no longer has a hold over your emotions. You belong to God. You belong to God. And you begin to function from that place of identity. You function from that place of your position. It is clear. It is clear you engage light every day of this month. In the name of Jesus, as you study the scriptures, you see clearly, you see differently, you hear clearly. The Holy Spirit speaks to you concerning your marriage, concerning your family, concerning your marital destiny for those who are yet to marry. And you begin to take notes. He begins to reveal his secrets and his mysteries to you. You will no longer be confounded by this institution called marriage. You will no longer continue to rely on the experiences of others. That as you journey with God, you embrace peace. You embrace his joy. You embrace his love. For someone here, you need to begin to love yourself. You don't love yourself enough. And you are really in that place of unhealthy emotions. And it's not, it's not attractive. It's as though there's an aura round about you. It's like there's an atmosphere round about you that makes people want to stay away. I declare declare over you that that atmosphere is lifted in the name of Jesus you receive the love of the Lord you embrace his love and his fragrance is all over you in Jesus name that veil that has covered you is torn it's torn arise shine the glory of the Lord is seen over you in Jesus name amen and amen Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.